0: The following announcement has been paid for by Wild Games Productions.
1: Roll,
0: bones.
2: Welcome to the Save or Die Podcast. A podcast
1: about classic Dungeons and Dragons. If it's in a box,
2: we'll talk about it.
1: Welcome, everybody. Save or Die, Side Adventure 9. As ever, I am DM Mike, DM Liz, and DM Jim will not be joining us because Liz is buried under projects and Jim is hacking his way through the jungles of GaryCon. But with me is the pulse-pounding, two-fisted return of DM Vince.
0: I'm not Liz.
1: Hello! Hello! (laughs) And joining us for a conversation is... James Spahn of Barrel Rider Games. Hi, everybody. I didn't pronounce that last name right, Spawn. Yeah, it's just like Pete. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> I don't want to do another Janelle Jakeways again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I heard that, yeah.
1: All right, well, you're, we're here to talk to you about Barrel Rider Games and some of your products, particularly you've been doing a lot of white box stuff for Swords and Wizardry. Uh, yeah, a
2: little bit. Um, yeah, you know, about fifty thousand words worth in about six weeks. But, That's uh, not bad at all. No, no, I was, I was pleased with that word award, but um, I, I I don't know what happened. Um, part of me blames uh Eric Tenkar. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Um, we all blame him.
2: Well, yeah, well, you, it, it's default to blame Eric, but specifically, <laughs> um, anybody who's ever seen the Barrel Rider game storefront on on one bookshelf knows it is you know about 70 labyrinth lord products and all of a sudden this swords and wizardry stuff started showing up and basically i was poking around eric's blog and was like swords and wizardry i don't know i'm pretty happy in labyrinth lord and he was like nah dude take a look take a look and i was like this is kind of (laughs) awesome and then i looked at white box i was like this is even more awesome and um then you know then the rest just is, is infamy
1: yeah, I, I I tend to like White Box myself, even though my other hosts are completely wrong when they talk about uh, the quality of a single
2: saving throw category. Okay. Then, then you and I are on the same page because single save is where it's at.
1: Oh, I, you do I, like single save? I
2: love single save. Okay,
1: yeah, so does Liz and Jim. I don't. Really? Yeah, Bob. Oh, I Bob. love
2: single save. Oh, it's so simple. It's so um, easy.
0: I so like I worked, th- three myself. That in
1: there, Vince, the bah,
0: you know. Yeah, I got the ba in there. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three saves days. for me is what I like. I, I don't more than that is meh. So
1: maybe I'm just spoiled with Castles and Crusades, but I like attribute based. Well, okay. Castles and
2: Crusades it. their their save system is good because it's it's very intuitive. Um, I, I certainly don't have a problem with it, but I just I love single save. It's this unless you have a modifier, so you always can just look back to one number and go.
1: Yeah, and you can put in attribute modifiers as needed mm-hmm. to get the various things. Absolutely. Okay. Well, what I assume that uh looking at Eric Tinker's blog
2: was what drove you to create Barrel Rider Games? No. Um my wife made me create barrel rider games a couple of years ago. Wow, that sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, no, um my wife who is also a gamer though not quite as avid as I am um, she um, she basically looked at me one day and said, Honey, um, we can't afford to keep buying gaming books the way you want. If you want to be able to buy the gaming books you want, you need to make more money. Um, so I thought I would use an addiction to feed an addiction. And um, at the time, right around when I started Barrel Rider, a, a role-playing game had come out called The One Ring. And I'm a huge, huge, huge Tolkien fanatic. And this was the most beautiful, wonderful expression of Middle Earth I'd ever seen Grace a tabletop. I was in love with this game from page one. And I, when I picked it up, I went, I will write for this game one day. And <laughs> Barrel Rider Games was kind of a backdoor resume. Okay. Um, so that if the opportunity ever came up, then I could say, here's products I've published. And they might not immediately blow me off and so that that was the impetus for barrel rider games it was just meant to be able to afford to uh buy the occasional gaming book and now it is a secondary source of income necessary for paying the bills so mm-hmm.
1: well and that is there's some importance to that as far as you say having a list of publications because one of the things i learned in graduate school is that if you're trying to get something published it's a chicken of the egg yeah mm-hmm. and, If you can show that somebody published your stuff, no matter when or where, you know, that helps you a lot when trying to get your manuscripts sold to a publisher.
2: Well, and even self-publishing, like through one bookshelf, it it shows initiative Mm -hmm. Um, and a willingness to learn. Like, I know nothing about formatting. I didn't know anything when I opened up my open office document to write the first supplement I wrote for Barrel Rider, but I had to learn if I wanted to do it. Um, I just wish I could go back and have me now talk to me then and go, dude, don't do that. Don't don't No, you're making mistakes. there. Stop it. Um, But yeah, it's a total learning experience and it's worth it. It it affects every aspect of my gaming and improves. I like to think almost every aspect of my gaming
1: and being able to prove you can finish a project, too, is important and in writing and in art cuz i know oh. lots of people who are really creative and come up with really great ideas but they either never put it down on paper or they start it and then just kind of fizzle out and it's
2: oh and there are times when you're just like i don't want to do this but I, that's that's what it's really about when you're when, you, when you're a professional the difference i've always said the difference between a professional and an amateur is being able to work on a deadline period end of story whether you want to or not it doesn't matter You said you were going to get it done by this date. Get it done by this date. Because would you go to work, your day job, and be like, I don't feel like doing this, but I still expect you to pay me.
1: Mm -hmm. 90% of life really is showing up. We up. Yep.
2: (laughs) So, no, Eric is not to blame for Barrel Rider Games. Um, my, My dear and wonderful, amazing wife is. Okay. Well,
1: congratulations to her. And yeah, Liz was the one that first pu- pushed me into getting game stuff pu- published as well. So it, it's great to be married to a to a gamer most uh, of the
2: time. Uh, exactly, most of the time. I met my wife at a, at a tabletop game. Mm. I can't say which one because I might get lynched. So.
1: <laughs> On the other hand, when it comes time to go to a convention and you can only afford one of the two of you to go, I mean if if she didn't game it would be a no-brainer you just go but then it's like okay we're, what are we gonna do
2: you know i'm really lucky in that my wife recognizes that this has become like my business and she would totally be like no i want you to go okay I, I, you know and she i'm so like my wife's just awesome this is cool. you know
1: it's oh, it's great anyway oh, got sorry. any got any questions then
0: I'm waiting for we get some more products because there's a couple things I want to go over with James and recently happened to him, a couple bad things, but we want to get to the good stuff first. Oh, the bad stuff? Oh, I don't know what you could be talking about. <laughs> oh, well, since James is talking about it, well, Mike, I don't know if you knew, but uh, there was one person that actually was taking James' stuff and, per the open gaming license, just pulling all his stuff together on another document and reprinting it and yeah. trying to sell it for more money than James was at one
2: oh, point. No, 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 gosh. hold on, hold on. To be fair... The guy was selling it at pay-what-you-want. I I, I have to – you have to be concrete about it. He was selling it at pay-what-you-want, but he was literally going into products of mine that he had purchased, copy, pasting, PDF converting, putting up.
1: The OGL would not protect that. That's still piracy. If he retyped it and rephrased it, he'd be a lot – a lot safer no he didn't
2: rephrase any no
1: that's that's legally actionable
2: and and what happened was uh uh, like and I took a much closer look at the OGL at this point and I contacted I, I made it very publicly known in the OSR community and I was really humbled by the response like the vast majority were like this isn't cool. And they basically went on this person's digital storefront and were like left reviews saying, this is a copy paste of this product for products that I had released. And the, the, the publisher had done it for other, uh, OSR publishers as well. I wasn't the only one. Um, and then I contacted one bookshelf and they were phenomenal. They shut the guy down like within a day and maintained strong contact with me and told me that, that he was being ordered to take it down and that then he would be permitted to reopen his storefront. But they kept me in the loop the whole time. Hmm. So, I mean, it was frustrating. Don't get me wrong. Um, but looking at a negative experience, it processed out as positively as I could have expected.
0: Yeah, it did, actually, for you. I, I wonder Is it his store back up now? Or Yes,
2: yes, the store is back up.
0: Because I did notice, I looked through his other products, and he did have a pretty long, a pretty big list of other products for other games. So it kind of made me wonder if he took some of that stuff from other mm. people as well for other games.
2: He had done that, and reviewers had remarked on that. Mm. Um, a lot of his stuff was just copy-pasted straight out of Labyrinth Lord. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just like, really, man? Come on. Um, it was to me it it's 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 personally my my you know I was not happy about it but also oh. dude you're making the OSR look bad.
0: Yeah, stop
2: it. You know. So yeah, I I was I was pretty crap. livid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. it was it was crap. Um but it was resolved quickly and as positively as I could have expected. Um and you know I just I I thank the OSR community and One Bookshelf for just being awesome. They were so great. So, but yeah, that was the bad stuff.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, Matt Finch definitely jumped all over the uh the OGL and broke it down for everybody mm-hmm. in those couple posts so we could figure out how to make sure your stuff was safe for the future, so.
2: Well, and I and I went it's funny, I went back and checked the verbiage on almost every other product I had especially my white box stuff because it was you know it's been popular and I I just didn't want to see that happen again yeah. yeah you know so but yeah Um, and to me it was it was the there's the legal aspect with the power of the public this guy still has one star reviews on all his products some of his products out there saying you know this is you know a blatant copy paste of that or this so I mean the court of you know publicity ha- has been more powerful than, than legal action because I don't have the money for a lawyer and I highly doubt whoever did it has the money, you know, for compensation. So yeah.
0: now I'm pretty sure he is going to be uh, hiding for a while before he produces any products and then maybe shutting that store down and starting another one is the only way to get get rid of that negativity for now.
2: Well, well, you know what, man, I, I hope he learns something from it and I really hope it makes him a better publisher. You know, that, that you can't just be hackneyed, and, and, if you, and if you love something and you want to do it, you're going to put it out there, and you're going to put it out there, right? Because Lord knows I make so many mistakes in my products, it's not even funny.
1: Well, hey, typos are all part of the um, I'm saying, I
2: mean, Yeah, exactly. Typos, formatting errors, you know, you save it one way, and it moves an image the wrong way, and you're like, ah, and you don't notice it because you're doing it at 2 a.m. because you want to get it out there.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Well, also text, especially, you know, when you've written it, you reach a, a threshold point that your eyes just glaze over mm-hmm. errors because you've read it so many times. And... And,
2: and you're reading it how you think it reads, not what it really says.
1: Yeah. And you know what it meant because mm-hmm. well, he wrote it. But, would, you know, just somebody coming at it cold may not.
2: Well, and I've gotten uh, on my white box companion. I got an email. Somebody was kind enough to send me an email saying, "I love this product. This verbiage is confusing." And I, I went back and edited the verbiage. You know, it's just a PDF. It takes ten minutes. Boom, boom. Update. Send the email out to anybody who's bought it because, you know, these people are, are putting money up for for my scribblings. So they deserve the best that I can deliver.
1: Again, the ease and beauty of PDF publishing.
2: Oh, it's beautiful. It's so great.
1: <laughs> so um, what are your more recent products that you've put out on your um, store?
2: Uh, I, I've done a white box line of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which started, it was just going to be one. I I noticed there was no white box books out there. And I was like, eh, there must not be much of a market for it let me do something and see how it does, you know, and this is what I would do with, you know, certain things in a white box. So I did a little like 15 page digest formatted PDF that takes a couple of the classes that have appeared in later editions and pairs them down to, to, to the white box style. And it sold like crate, like, well, I mean, I think mean, it's like millions of copies or anything, but compared to my other stuff, it sold really, really well. Um, and I was like, wow, the people, well, there's a lot more love for this game than I thought. Mm. So I, I went back and I did, I did a book of, you know, 15 page book with like hundred magic items in it and a 15 page book with like 25 monsters in it and people really loved it. And by the third one, I started getting emails asking if there was going to be a compilation and I hadn't really considered it because I'm really impatient and hate waiting for the print on demand service to process I um, going through the proofing and all that um so i i I kind of hemmed and hauled about it, and then I did three adventures um for white box and when i when I started out trying to do these adventures i i don't want to use the term tropey, but that's almost what I was trying to do I wanted to make them feel very classic you know these are these these is you know straight up nineteen seventy four you know just dungeon crawling. And so I just, I said, well, what's one of my favorite early level monsters that's not an orc and not a kobold and not a goblin? I was like, I really like were-rats. So I did have a venture called The Were-Rats Well. And I was like, well, who's controlling the were-rats? And that led me to do a module called The Wizard's Tower. And I was like, well, who's behind The Wizard? And that led me to do The Dragon's Horde. And I came up with all the titles before I ever wrote the modules. And then as I wrote them, I got more and more requests to do a compilation Um, So I went ahead and combined them all, cleaned it up, uh, reformatted it, and then for the Companion, the Treasury, and the Bestiary, I added a little bit of new content so that people who had already bought the previous products didn't feel like they were rebuying the exact same product. And I added a 30-page gazetteer to the back of it that was a setting for all three of these modules. Um, and I released it as the White Box Omnibus. And that has done phenomenally well for me. And it sat at number one for quite a bit on RPG Now, which, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I'm really, really, really happy about that. Oh, That's please, good. toot your own horn. That's um, part if, of the if reason I, you're here. Toot if, toot. If, I, if I can toot, um at one point I had number one, number two, and number three all at the same time. And that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, you Sweet. did for an entire weekend, one, two, three, and four at one point.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool.
0: I was like,
1: Yay,
2: validation. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've noticed most swords and wizardry stuff that's been out there in the past have either been for the full rules or the new complete rules. It's mm-hmm. white box never really got much attention, which I always thought was a shame because I like rules light systems. Well,
2: that, that and that was exactly I was like, you know, and the the problem when you when I was writing for white box is it's rules light. So when you add additional rules, how long before it becomes not rules light anymore? So it, it became really kind of a balancing act, particularly when writing the classes of keeping that simplistic white box feel, that ease of play, but still being able to make a, a, a comparatively complex concept like a bard or a ranger work. Uh, it was, it was. I had to do a lot of mulling about in my head. And I, in the end, when it comes to my class, I'm most proud of the classes that I did for the for the Omnibus. Um, the classes, and I think the Wizard's Tower is probably the, of the three my favorite adventure.
1: Okay, cool. Vince, uh, do you have any questions regarding Wizard's Tower?
0: Uh, yeah, when you were sitting down right in the Wizard's Tower, which is uh, I'm looking at here right now, and while Mike was uh, chatting here with you, uh, you said it was a compilation? No, oh, wait, is it... Uh...
2: Well, the Wizard's Tower is part of the Omnibus, but it's right. also sold independently.
0: Right, okay. But
2: it's the third. If you were running the three modules together, which they can be or they can be run independently, it would be the second in the trilogy.
0: So the Wizard's Tower, How? just bring me through your, your thought process on how you designed this module up for aspiring designers out there. I mean, I'm sure everybody's written their own module, but they don't know how to actually publish their own uh, module how did you sit down and put it on paper translate it over to uh, obviously pdf for rpg now through open office you said you use briefly yeah. in the past but how did you figure out how to put it together is what i'm looking at
2: um the hardest part for me when i'm writing a module is finding a map mm-hmm. um and i'm lucky enough to have, have found really good cartographers who are amazing um both Matt Jackson and Dyson Logos both did maps for the three adventures. And I I I have to have like a a concrete idea of how the adventure is gonna flow. And for me that starts with the concept, i.e. the wizard's tower. Okay, that kind of tells you what the mod's gonna be about. Okay. And then the location, because in my mind, um a dungeon crawl is really just a a flow chart that, you know, happens to have a little more dimension to it. It lets the GM know in what directions the adventure is going to progress in a general sense um, and making that progression exciting. So like with the wizard's tower, it was about the characters exploring a wizard's tower. And every time I came to a question where what would I do in this room? I thought, what would a wizard powerful enough to have built a magic tower out in the middle of these terrible woods do? (laughs) And I did that um and and a lot of times i i mean a lot of times i'm 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 not very nice um some of the stuff in there is is pretty brutal mm-hmm. but it's i i always try to make it not unfair so like if you if there's there's one room where there's all these horrible evil runes and a summoning circle on the floor and obviously bad and if the players don't mess with it nothing bad will happen and if they do Well, you kind of brought it on yourself.
1: Well, yeah, and that's part of old school paradigm is knowing Mm -hmm. when to fight and when to run. So Uh, my first module that I published had uh, had a pretty tough uh, bone golem, essentially, in this end room. And for first level characters, this was kind of tough. But I was sure to point out, you know, it will not leave the room. And this is a dead end. So it's like, there's no reason for you to have Mm. to fight that thing. You can just leave and go do something else. And some of the playtest groups got TPK'd on the thing. (laughs) And I'm like, well, why were you doing that? Well, because we wanted to see what was in the room.
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah. I I have almost the exact same thing with a stone golem, which in white box I think is a 16 or 12 hit die monster. Uh And the module is for like, fourth to seventh level characters, that thing would mop the floor with them. But only if they go in the room and screw with it, it's literally the only thing in the room, and there's all these warding runes around it. Yeah. So, like, it should be obvious, you know, don't mess with this.
0: Yeah, but you know players, they always want to know why this is that and this is there, so... But, that's yeah, but then place. they complain
1: to you that you tpk us. You suck as a DM. Well,
0: like, I'm looking at the Wizard's Tower now, and I found the room you were talking about, James. Do you mind if I read the flavor text there? Or... No, no, go right ahead. So the summoning chamber. three rounded alcoves arise from the floor to the ceiling. In this chamber, and are covered by a spidery crimson runes that emanate enormous power, the runes crackle and pop with infernal power right there, should tell you to get out of the room, but and yeah, <laughs> and this radiant is heat, bad. Yeah, and radiant heat seems to emanate from the sigils on the fo- sigils after a moment of looking at these wicked r- wicked writings he puts in the description, I should tell you right there these images of fire and torture linger in your mind uh run. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that, that, and then spoilers, if the players mess with the circle, there's a 50 50 chance it either summons uh, a, uh, a pit fiend type demon or teleports them to the abyss.
1: Yay! Okay, so what do you do? My character turns out the light
2: and walks backward into the room. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, if they walk right past it, nothing happens. Great. And a clever character might try to shove an enemy through it if they can figure out what it does. Because if if that stone golem in the the first floor is chasing you up the stairs, shove him in the ruins and maybe he'll get teleported to the abyss. You don't know. know? Uh, Either way, worth
1: a shot. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, something obviously is... What uh, level range is Wizard's Tower
2: for? Uh, Fourth to seventh. And keep in mind, White Box only runs to tenth. Mm Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, Wizard's Tower is four to six. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's also built for six to eight PCs. Yeah. Yeah, I've always found the fourth to sixth level kind of the sweet spot in D&D type RPGs. I'm pretty much the same way. About three to seven for me is when it's really fun because you're you're capable, but you don't waffle over everything. Mm. You're not a
1: one-hit wonder, but yeah, you're not Mm. just dominating the whole place.
2: Yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh that, I, I blanked. Can I can I bring up one thing about the Wizards Tower that I that I, I liked doing as a writer? Sure. By all means. I um when I wrote it, I was writing my ideas down so fast and I filled the, the whole tower up so quickly mm-hmm. that I didn't have the wizard anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's gonna be a problem. Or is it? Exactly. And, and, then, and then I said, well, no. Some wizard in his tower and some a group of strangers come kick in his door and start wrecking his house? That's not cool. And one of my favorite, if not my favorite, OS, yeah, it's, it's my favorite, OSR module of all time is Castle Ravenloft. Love that adventure.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. So
2: I, I took a cue from that, and every three hours, the DM rolls on a chart, and that's where the wizard is, because he's moving around the tower.
1: Which is obvious. No, I'm going to sit in this room for six hours and wait for some PCs to show up. No. Exactly, no. exactly.
2: So I, I, I enjoyed doing that, and I also tried to paint the antagonist as sympathetic. He's, you know, the modules are interconnected and ascending in threat level. You know, this wizard is connected to the dragon in the next module, but he's not happy about it, and he's not necessarily inherently evil. He's just kind of bound into this bad situation.
1: Yeah, I've often liked, uh, get taking off what you said about the location of the wizard, I've often enjoyed modules whose wandering monster tables are filled out from most, more or less the encounters in the various rooms. So, oh, yeah. okay the troll from room three you might run into because he's wandering down the hall to go hunting in the cavern you know that sort of thing I've always found really cool rather than just appearing and disappearing wandering monsters
2: i um it, it bothers me that dungeons are often painted as very static you know they are moving they do change and they you know it's a living environment with creatures living in it usually intelligent in most games mm-hmm. so things are going to change, you know, they're going to react. Um, I think in all three of the mods at some point, I have an NPC who, if he gets a chance, will run away into another room and tell the other NPCs, "Uh, guys, these group of dudes with swords and spells and stuff just showed up and trying to bushwhack our house. We have Uh, a problem. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the way it should be, and and DMs sometimes forget that, and players often don't take it into account. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Instead, you end up with, as Tim Kask put it, um, killing the zoo. Yeah. Each room is a cage, basically, to go. (laughs) It's like, okay, this display, you can go in there and murder this creature.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It it, it shouldn't be that. It it really shouldn't, because that that lends itself so well to the murder hobo trope Mm. and idea. You know, we're going to go in here and murder stuff and get money.
1: No, not so much. Drunken, homicidal kleptomaniacs with a treasure map. Exactly. Yep. Well, of your various products you've got for sale right now, does any of them strike you as the most fun you had writing it?
2: Oh, that's tough.
1: Yeah, no, know. It's um, like choosing among your children. But... Yeah.
2: I wrote a product about a year and a half ago that was just one of my little $1 labyrinth lord classes uh and i am you know obsessed with halflings halflings hobbits they're my favorite race in all of fantasy um barrel rider games ex- it, well you know no barrel rider is a rodeo term
1: <clears throat> oh okay i was thinking of <clears throat> when uh, bilbo called himself barrel rider
2: oh and, and some may make that connection um that's
1: the connection
0: i made definitely yeah
1: yeah um that was my first thought so, Barrel Rider Games.
2: Yeah. And the, the best, the best, well, not the best, but the most fun product I probably had writing um, was there's a part in the very first product I ever did called Halflings Tales from the Fireside, um, where I got to go into, and I did a whole section on when halflings reach name level instead of just becoming a sheriff, they can become a tobacco farmer and grow magical tobacco. That does stuff like charm person or levitate so they stand on a cloud of tobacco and it rises and that kind of stuff or they can make a wizard's pipe that when wizards are memorizing their spells while enjoying their pipe they can memorize one extra spell of a certain level because they're you know relaxed and calm and that kind of stuff and that that to me was a lot of fun um. And a class that well, they I did about
1: eat before. more, right? Ra- although, it, as a side effect, they eat more rations than they should because they have the munchies.
2: No, 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 no. Wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong pipe, wrong pipe. Oh, wrong okay. pipe. sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had fun doing that, and I did a class about a year and a half ago. Another uh, no, 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 one, one dollar classes called the burglar. Um, I, I'm a huge, obviously a huge Tolkien fan, and I. Uh, Bilbo's character in the Hobbit is one of my favorites. And I wanted to reflect aspects of that in a simplified version. And it took me about six months of just getting it in my head of how I would make it work and keep it within the confines of Labyrinth Lord to, to get it on paper. And when I finally did, I was like, that's really cool. I want to play that so bad. (laughs) Um, That was a lot of fun. And the, what we just mentioned, the wizard's tower was just so much fun to write because, you know, I have a, a ridiculously powerful wizard and I'm getting to to put his house together and his security system. And that's just, you know, you can go gonzo with that.
1: So with the spate of swords and wizardry products, uh, do you see yourself uh, leaving Labyrinth Lord behind for a while?
2: Um, For a while, I had a successful Indiegogo campaign. Um, which uh, funded the class compendium. I'm taking over 50 of my Labyrinth lord classes um, and several new ones and compiling them into a single PDF and hardcover print-on-demand product. Cool. Uh, At this point, the the working draft stands at about 220 pages uh, because I am an idiot. (laughs) And I decided that for ease of reference, I would include a complete spell compendium in it referenced to each class's spell list um and that has been Ah. 75 pages of manual editing if not for that the book would have been done two months ago (laughs)
0: Uh, that explains your post the other day which one what was that next time something to do with spells and if i ever promise to do this again someone like you beat me or something weird like that. yeah
2: i was i'm just sitting here going okay what level okay what page okay this is the texture oh my god oh no um but that's gonna that's gonna be my probably my biggest Labyrinth Lord product i'm I wouldn't say I'm leaving Labyrinth Lord behind um not at all. I love Labyrinth Lord, especially the the core set um I'm just i am an a d d kid I get on a kick for something and then i I'm like I run after it for a while and then I'm like, oh, what's that? you know
0: uh, <sighs> oh a butterfly
2: <laughs> uh, the squirrel uh, yeah squirrel. <laughs> I, I, I've been told by another OSR publisher that I'm like a, I'm like a hyperactive terrier. I grab something in my mouth and shake it until it, you know, falls apart. Uh, Eric.
0: <clears throat> Sorry. What was that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> um, and that's a pretty accurate assessment right now. I'm on a big white box kick and I, I don't foresee that ending. As a matter of fact, I have something already prepared it in the can. Um, that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. But and I'm working on the next thing after that as well. But for now, I'm not working on *Labyrinth Lord*. Is it *Left Behind*? Absolutely not.
1: So more of a temporary hiatus than.
2: Well, you gotta you gotta take a break. You know, everybody likes chocolate cake, but you don't want eat it every day.
0: Oh yeah, well, and, Why, why not? Know. Oh sorry.
2: And and I, I, I've been you know I've been putting out *Labyrinth Lord* stuff pretty much straight up for almost three years, so <laughs> I need a break.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because the alternative is you eventually get burned out, and then it's like, I don't want to look at this thing for years, you know? Exactly,
2: exactly. All
1: cool. right, cool. Well, we will be putting your show, that your um, mm-hmm. drive through RPG address in the show notes, so oh. for people can hop over there and see some of these cool products. Any other questions you've got, Vince?
0: Um, not at the moment, no
1: okay well is there anything you would like uh, our listeners to know about barrel rider games that you haven't already covered james
2: um the big thing i want the listeners and, and everybody in the osr community to know is that i'm really really thankful um you know i i you know i said this before we started i'm just a fan you know putting out my material just like anybody else you know and anybody willing to lay down you know a dollar or two for my stuff it's it really means a lot to me
0: Definitely. It's well worth it to pick up James' stuff on there. It's well well written, and uh, it's all fun. So,
1: Yeah. And the prices literally can't be beat. So.
2: That was one thing. When I first started putting my stuff in, I was like, who's going to want to buy my dreck? Man, I better make this cheap. <laughs> and it, it, it worked. <laughs> so I just kind of kept it that way. And
1: ironically, because I've known some people in the OSR community who, you know, kind of gripe about how people are charging for their stuff now when back in the day they made it for free and all that stuff as somebody who's done both i gotta say i don't know if it's just psychology or what but when you make something free you almost never hear any feedback off it good or bad when you put something out and charge even just a you know a modicum amount of money for it you will get feedback Mm-hmm. And as a writer, if you don't get feedback, how can you
2: improve? That's exactly. I right. I have products on BRG that range from fifty cents, and I I think the Omnibus is my most expensive at at ten bucks for a hundred and thirty one page PDF, which is still dirt
1: cheap. Especially when you put it to some of the stuff on D and D classics and stuff, <laughs> which isn't overpriced. But you know, ten bucks no. for that is is a darn good deal.
2: I just, I, when, I, when I put them out, I, I just, you know, people are giving me money for stuff that I'm writing because I love it. So if they're willing to pony up that, they deserve the best price I can possibly provide and the best quality I can possibly provide. Because without people buying my product, I am no publisher, I, I am no writer.
1: And I suppose, as a roundup question, the very important question has Barrel Rider Games' income done what your wife demanded and pay for your new gaming stuff.
2: Yes, sometimes oh. to her chagrin.
1: <laughs> well, that just that uh...
2: you know, she'll be like you got to stop this. You know, no, this is this is too much. So, <laughs> you know, she's like you go to the post office at least two or three times a month. Now what are you doing? <laughs>
1: and you can smile and say it was your idea honey.
2: Mhm. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, see now she's moved on to well we only have one big bookshelf. If it gets more than one big bookshelf, you have to pare it down to only fit on, you know, one big wall bookcase. And I'm like, "Oh, so that's your trick now."
1: Hmm. Yeah, I've got a bookshelf in my study that's got out uh, of four sl- four shelves, three of them are gaming stuff, and then my closet is packed full of gaming stuff on built-in shelving and everything and liz and i were joking at one point you know you know what we need to do in here i need to get rid of all these clothes because they really just get in the way of my
0: (laughs) darn clothes and
1: and and already like i think maybe it's only a quarter of the walk-in you know, closet is closed to begin with. But now it's like, yeah, I got to get rid of these clothes.
2: We have a um, we have a, a spare bedroom in our home. And that is the library. And it's just it's ridiculous. It's like so many books. And my wife's like, well, you're never going to play it. I'm like, even if I don't play it, I have it and I could play it. I don't know what the future holds.
1: And it's good
2: for reference for
1: jarring imagination, too, even if you never oh, yeah.
2: play the game. Oh, yeah. I've got some books that I, I know I'll never play that are just shockful full of, you know, great or just fun to read. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just entertainment. And that, and and my wife, to her credit, before I, I continue picking on her, she does recognize that, like, you know, I've got a way more OSR books than I'll ever use, but she does recognize <laughs> that that's my wheelhouse, and that's, you know, a professional point for me. So she really doesn't jump on me too bad for buying particularly OSR books. Or games that she likes, because she she still games on occasion. Mm. But, uh, well,
1: since it's in the spare bedroom, you can you can rationalize it by saying you're providing lots of reading material for your guests. See, that's,
2: that's a really good idea. I hadn't thought of that.
1: Yeah, you're you're thinking of them. That's what
2: this. That's is. good.
1: <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I guess uh, barring any other questions, thanks for very. Thank you very much for showing up and talking with us this afternoon.
2: And- um, it, it's an honor. Um, I said it before the broadcast again. Uh, save or die is what caused me to give the OSR community a second look. And uh, you guys are partially responsible for all the infamy that has occurred since. So it's it's a real genuine honor to be, to be here. Spread the blame around.
1: Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. And we appreciate our listeners for tuning in to Side Adventure Nine. Good night, everybody.
2: Good night.
0: Here we are.